Chapter 19 Anam Kara It wasn't until the day of Lord Kell's banquet, the day before I'd planned on leaving, that I was introduced to a prospective advisor. And from a surprising source, Rill and Gill sought me out to discuss the possibility of leaving Lord Kell's service and joining mine. I was hesitant at first. I remembered vividly their vanishing act as they waited in ambush for the appropriate time to act during the battle in the Summerlands. I wasn't so much bothered by the tactic as much as the fact they hadn't informed me that was how they fought. As I thought back to the encounter, I realized that my bias may not have been fair. We'd barely had any time to chat about anything before we'd been kidnapped. And in the end, they had acted. Their ability to bend light could be advantageous, especially if they worked in concert with the Aziza as part of a department that handled espionage. After an exhausting discussion with Euron and Cedric, I decided to set aside my concerns and allow them to sign contracts and swear loyalty oaths. I still assigned two Aziza as liaisons, permanent partners that would be able to keep tabs on them. Welcome, Gil and Rill. I'm really happy you've decided to join my house. I know it must have been a difficult decision to leave an established fife and sign up with my house. After all, there is no guarantee that I'll ever be able to establish a physical fortress. There may be months or years of political shenanigans and rank challenges before I get even close to putting down roots. That said, I do have the beginning of an idea and some plans on how to secure my house. I really hope to have that done the soonest, because as you are both aware, the sea have bigger issues ahead. This fictional enmity that has existed between the Seely and Unseely needs to end, or it may just lose our races the Summerlands. We don't have to start singing Kumbaya, but we damn well better get our act together soon, or it's going to be too late. Kumbaya, your highness? Brill asked in confusion. An old spiritual song I came across, a plea for the creator to intervene and solve all of the problems of the world, I explained. Not exactly the meaning behind the song, but close enough. It's been my experience that wailing and pleading for help from the gods is a waste of time. The gods tend to help those that help themselves. A bit pedantic and not exactly true, I thought. S-Prime went out of its way to help me even if I still didn't understand exactly what help I'd been given. And if technically, S-Prime wasn't a god. Cedric can catch you two up on where we are, gentlemen, but your direct superior will be Euron. He has been appointed my captain of guards and will be responsible for your training and schedule. Get with him and Basil to inventory what gear you have, if it needs repairs and what we need to get to outfit you. We'll be leaving sometime tomorrow. We have to attend this damnable banquet at Lord Kell's this evening. I hate dog and pony shows, I said in frustration. Uncertain how to react to my mini rant, Gil imparted the one piece of good news I'd had that day. Your Highness, Major Domo Tully requested we pass on a message. He has a niece. She's been training with him for decades. He will attest that she is talented and has expert-level skills in diplomacy, strategy, and management. Kel Fife has very few opportunities for someone of her abilities. He is afraid 
if she isn't given an opportunity to grow with responsibilities commensurate with her skills, she will begin to stagnate. He wonders if you would be open to interviewing her for a position. He has supplied me with a reference and is willing to attest that she would be an exemplary seneschal or major domo. Honestly, I couldn't have been happier if someone were writing this stuff for me. Just when I was about to give up and hope to find someone not totally corrupted by politics in the capital, this stroke of luck provided me exactly who I needed and was looking for. Henry, I said in glee, contact Major Domo Tully and schedule an interview with the lady as soon as possible. Yesterday wouldn't have been too soon. Gil, did Tully happen to mention what rank and level she was? Not that it mattered. I'd accept a peon and train her up myself at this point. He mentioned that she was a mid-level knight. She had already attained the highest level Lord Kell allowed for those living in his domains. Oh? I wondered. If I may, your highness, Henry said, standing and preparing to leave the room. Lord Kell has a strict policy that no resident within his fife can attain a level higher than knight level six. He feels confident he can suppress any individuals who may entertain the idea of rebellion or replacing him as lord by enacting this level limit. Henry didn't stay around to gauge how I would respond to that bombshell, quickly departing to contact Tully. It made a strange sort of sense and explained Thom's actions. The rot in this fife was systematic, the flow from the top, and touched everything under Lord Kell's control. Thom's belief in his entitled rights were made manifest because he learned those character flaws from his father. I honestly felt that Lord Kell had done Carrot a favor by neglecting him, and it explained the disparity in their dispositions. One exuded honor and integrity, one sloth, greed, and contempt for any but themselves. Cedric, what is going on with those weapons we looted from the Olympians? Anything come of your talks with Blacksmith Dar or his people? I asked. Dar spent most of the time dodging my requests for meetings. I had to use an extreme measure to even get him in the same room. I'm afraid to admit that I used your name and rank to coerce him and his people to finally agree, Cedric admitted. It wasn't until I pointed out that you would soon be meeting with Queen Mab and King Lu that they realized that refusing to discuss may lead to unforeseen repercussions. I hinted that you would make known that they were involved in the kidnapping plot and attempted assassination you had recently been subjected to. Smart thinking. It may mean we have lost any chance of establishing favorable relations with him and his shop, but we're leaving the area soon. So really, the only way for him to retaliate is to inform Lord Cal of your line of inquiry. I said, praising Cedric. Did he have any information on who may have purchased those weapons? I asked. He tried to hide behind the sanctity of contracts and the buyer's right to privacy. But after I pointed out that you may consider his decision to protect those that would attack you as complicity and consider his decision to protect and harbor those that would harm you proof that he was working in tandem. If that were the case, 
you may have no choice but to destroy root and branch, those that would give comfort and aid to the enemy. He finally agreed to open his books and allow me to examine transactions. He didn't go so far as to actually help or direct his people to help me. Once a raft of papers, memos, sales receipts and customer database were provided, he ignored me and the problem. The crystal assistant you provided allowed me to wade through the legion of documents. I'm sure Dar had no idea you had supplied the latest technology in impromptu crystal technology. It was time-consuming, but I was able to scan every document he provided. The imaging software was able to match and cross-reference the maker's mark. Interestingly, there was no receipt for the sale of the weapons we confiscated. The MCI magically constructed intelligence, was able to collate all of the information and look for patterns, Cedric explained. There was no trace of sales records for these specific weapons, but the maker's mark was traceable to the craftsman. Every item can be traced to two individuals, journeyman blacksmith Dadar, son of the grandmaster blacksmith Dar, and journeyman Bowyer R. Swift. Were you able to question them? I asked. It seems they were part of an exchange of apprentice association and have headed to Fife Deming, Cedric answered. So, a dead end. There were a few other interesting tidbits the MCI managed to ferret when organising the documents Dar provided, Cedric said. The expenses for rare metals have increased fourfold each year for the past decade. The metal is coming in, but there is no corresponding sale of items that make use of these metals. The gold income and outcome also show some discrepancies. There are no sales, no exchange of goods or services that account for the increased financial purchases for these rare metals. But taxes and tithes have been paid to Lord Kell based on figures that include the expenditures. He's paying taxes based on sales figures that include where these rare metals are going or being used for. Exactly. His ledgers show that income is generated, enough to offset the cost of materials, but doesn't show where that income is sourced. He's making sure Lord Cal gets his share of the spoils, I guessed. That was my conclusion also, Your Highness, Cedric agreed. Is there any way to track down those two journeymen? I wondered. Not quickly, Euron suggested. There are trackers that specialise in this kind of thing, but they take time. And even if you find them, what are the chances they are going to talk and provide any real information? Cedric asked. I just wonder, is Fife Deming a part of this conspiracy, or a ruse to throw us off the trail? Your Highness, Henry said, interrupting our conversation to gain my attention. The guards have informed me that Knight Lorna has arrived. She is waiting in the interview room. All right, gentlemen, for now. Euron, after this meeting, find a trustworthy tracker and have them find our two wayward journeymen. I want to know if they really are in Fife Deming, I said. Is there any real point in tracking them down, Uranus? Cedric asked. We'll be leaving and long gone by the time the trackers could find anything significant. He was right. I didn't like leaving loose ends that might come back to bite me in the end. But we wouldn't be in the area much longer. And the problems of Fife Kell 
were not mine to solve. I would make sure to inform Duke Adoin of my findings. Good point. All right, leave that. Instead, Cedric, generate a set of financials for me. I want to see exactly how much gold and rare materials Dar is funneling through his business. Include a timeline for when it started and how it progressed. Night Lana was a study in contrast, especially when compared to Night Euron, after he entered the room. Standing next to him, they painted a picture of opposing natures. Both were tall. I think it was a law that seely men and women be tall. But where he was dark, she was light. Light and shadow. The two of them blending together to make a whole. He exuded confidence and certainty. She, shyness and hesitancy. Increasingly, there seemed to be an intimate attraction between the two of them. A yearning and reaching out as each recognized that missing something. That small part of their soul that would make them whole. I was almost not surprised when the wild magic burst forth, surrounding them, encasing them in a bubble of magic and solitude. As the magic stirred, the two began to spiral around each other, not elevating exactly, simply a dance of joy and movement. Feet placed purposely and in sync with the other, arms and hands hesitant and uncertain as they began to touch, to know each other. Their hair, one with shades of black and the other shades of white, intertwined and separated, a life of its own. Patterns formed as their hair created sculptures of possibilities, a hint of children, softening of features as they grew to know each other better, a life lived to the fullest, and most importantly, a sense of happiness in each subtle sculpture that was formed. I was astounded as I watched their auras react, tendrils of light and dark, stretching, grasping and intertwining, creating a soul weave so intricate that two became one. And as their souls blended and transformed, so too did their appearance. Euron became more focused, more real as his appearance took on a depth and dimension that had been missing. Lorne became more radiant as shadows softened and highlighted her features. They had found their missing half and had been made whole. Congratulations. Knights Lorne and Euron have recognized they are Anamkara, their souls two sides of the same coin, the essence of true souls, he for her, she for him. They are destined soulmates, forged as one, their connection is unshakable. The binding process, if that is what this was, ended as soon as it had begun. The room at large was stunned over what had just happened, but Lorne and Euron were oblivious. They had eyes only for each other. They had forgotten where they were or why they were here. Carrot, I asked. Does this happen often? And what does it mean to be an Anamkara? Anamkara means they are fated. Fated mates. Fated friends. True love that transcends the platonic or the romantic. Theirs is the ideal love. That state of perfection that understands inherently that love is boundless, messy, painful, and glorious. The chances of meeting your Anamkara, your soulmate, are so small that it approaches impossible. Historically, only the gods and kings and queens have found their Anamkara. This? This is a blessing and a miracle. A once-in-forever happenstance 
that we have been privileged to observe. You will need to recruit both of them into your house. An Anamkara pair are fated, and their fates do not take kindly with being ignored. You also need to think of an appropriate gift. You have been a witness to a great event. Treasure this moment, and remember...